This is Jonathan, and this is Drew, and you're listening to the Yummy Nation Network. Hey, everybody, this is Double R, Rachel Ray, and you're listening to the Yummy Nation Network, although I call it the Yummo Nation. And we're back live at the 1871 Parker Gale Studios for the Yummy Nation Network. Of course, that website, yumminationcom forward slash podcast. Beth Peterson here. How does it feel to be back at 1871? Oh, it's so much fun because there's so much activity going on here today. And always here at 1871, I, I think it just is like a 24-7 situation here where people are just always active and fun things are happening. It is a beehive of intellectual activity out there. So much hustle and bustle and the security has never been tighter. <laughs> You're, you are right about that. You cannot get into this place unless you've got that key card. If you don't have the key card, you're going to wait for a minute because they got to check all of your security. you got to have the key card and you got to have some great ideas because they're only letting the best and brightest in here. And so I feel as though we're a little lucky to be here, but exciting to be here, of course, at the podcast studio. And we've got a great and very cool show in the works for people today. We do have a cool show in the works for people today. I can't wait till everyone hears all the great guests that we have coming on today. As we are going to try to feature every week, some of the influencers out there, Yummy Nation, one of the biggest collectives of the influencer brands and worlds out there with uh, with great content, whether it's the video content, the blogging content, some of the audio stuff. And we're going to highlight another one today. We've got Amy Sherman. Amy Sherman, she's been a blogger for such a long time. She's got so much wisdom to impart to anybody out there, particularly folks that are new to blogging and new to food writing. She gives everybody a lot of great information about how to do your very best at it. And she's been doing it for so long, too, as you get some insight from kind of the beginning of the whole thing. Right, right from the start of blogging. She is, you know, one of the early adapters to blogging. And so she'll fill you in on all of the the history of kind of how blogging came about and why it is the way it is now. Part of the reason that bloggers and contributors and influencers are able to do what they do is because, why Beth? Because they stay alive, right? Because when they get sick, medicine is involved. And Jen Campus has got a book now that will not only... Uh, entertain you, but will keep you alive to enjoy more books in the future. That's right. We have a little fun with her herbal-based book. So many home remedies inside of that book where you can use things that you just have around the house or that you could get easily from the grocery store or maybe your backyard and put them to use not only, uh, I, I guess, making your life better, maybe making some foods taste better, but making you better on the health side. Yeah, I think um, a lot of it, too, is talking about how it makes your food taste better. So not only is it really good for you, but kind of how to apply it and make it taste really good, too. Some of the history of blogging with Amy Sherman, and then some of the history of something that we have all known and grown to love and enjoy, Food Network, Food Television. We're going to have Sarah Moulton on this week. She's one of my favorites, Dane. She gives us a great interview, talks about her new book that's coming out, and a little bit of history um, about just being in the food media world, because she's, again, she's one of those folks. She's been involved for a very long time and uh, was at the beginning of Food Network, so we get to hear how this all came about. Insights into the beginning of Food TV, so a little bit about food writing, and and some about one of the the biggest stars in the world of food of all time. We're going to hear a little 
insights into her time with Julia Child. That's right. And she then talks to us about how hard it is to write a cookbook, even for her, someone who is an, an author of many books and a skilled recipe writer, just kind of uh, the rigor that it, that it takes to put together a cookbook. A lot of fun, a lot of information, a few laughs maybe, all that and much more here on the Yummy Nation Network. Stay tuned. Perch, just your average kitchen appliance store, not even close. Dane Neal here, host at Yummy Nation Network. At Perch, experience the world's most admired appliances, decorative plumbing and outdoor brands hooked up alive and performing like they would in your own home. Your journey of inspiration can begin before you enter our doors at www.perch.com. Explore items you've always dreamed about, discover new ones you never knew existed, then visit a Perch showroom closest to you and have some fun. Rest assured, Perch has the best prices guaranteed, the most comprehensive warranty and installation done right. From start to awe-inspiring finish, Perch helps you create the backdrop to life's most important moments. Welcome to Perch, www.perch.com. Perch is the official sponsor of the Yummy Nation Tour. Are you an influencer interested in being included in the Yummy Nation Tour? Then email us at info at yumminationcom Talk your ear off about food. I never get tired of the subject, whether it's recipes or restaurants or trends or ingredients or travel. For me, food should be in the newspaper every single day of the week. It's the most important topic. Hi, this is Amy Sherman from Cooking with Amy. You're listening to the Yummy Nation Network. And we are back live on the Yummy Nation Network podcast right here. Actually, we're with Bill Carabellis today in uh, in our suburban studios. You know, we broadcast from a number of different locations, Beth, yep. whether it's some of the best food festivals from around the country, whether it's live on the street at amazing events. Or maybe 1871. Or our podcast home base, which is 1871 in the heart of Chicago in the Merchandise Mart. But always, we've got great guests, whether it's industry leaders, some of the top stars of the food world, or some of the biggest and most important influencers out there in the food space. And today is no exception. No, we've got a great one today. We have Amy Sherman. She's a San Francisco-based cookbook author, food writer, recipe developer. She launched her blog, Cooking with Amy, in June of 2003. So, I mean, this woman, she knows blogging, she knows food, and we are really lucky to have you here today. Amy, thanks for being on with us. Thanks for inviting me. We were talking a little bit beforehand, and you were telling me about the conference that you're going to be speaking at. We know each other because you spoke at the Yummy Nation conference in 2014, I think, and came out for that and participated with us. So what's been happening since then? Probably lots and lots of things. Lots and lots of things. (laughs) These days I'm contributing in addition to my own blog, to some corporate blogs. So that's kind of new for me. I've been doing some writing for for Coca-Cola and also for Open Table, both of which have blogs. This is the great thing about blogging and, you know, being a food influencer. There's so many interesting opportunities and ways to sort of apply your talents and your knowledge, right? And, And new ones all the time. I mean, as you mentioned, I've been doing this since 2003. And Nothing ever stays the same. There's new opportunities all the time. So a lot of times I hear people complaining about blogging. It's not like it used to be. But you have to just 
you have to be flexible. You have to be open to new opportunities, new ways of doing things. Well, and it's and, a new, it, yeah. you know, blogging is a new way of expressing yourself. And, of course, now it's evolved, you know, into more of a business for everybody. And so it's definitely changed, too. I mean, it, it's an, it was a new medium. It's a new form. And so, of course, things are going to change and evolve and kind of um, constantly, probably. You've probably seen so much change over the years that you've been doing this. I would say change is the only constant. <laughs> it is. Yes, it is. It really is. And that's what's great about some of these um, blogging conferences is to hear different voices, hear different points of view. The panel that I was on was wonderful. It was all people that I knew, and they each had a very different way of looking at their blog and at monetization and strategies, just very, very different. And there, there is no right or wrong way. The more, the more you hear, the more input, the better. And um, that will be the same for this upcoming conference where I'm actually talking about culinary travel, wow. which is something I've focused on in the past few years. And there'll be somebody else who's sort of a blogger and an influencer as well as someone from, uh, I guess, a tourism, representing tourism for California who will be talking. And we had just one quick phone call and all very different perspectives, different um, approaches, and should should make for, even though we don't know each other, should make for a lively panel. You, you know, we're going to talk about the culinary travel, and we're certainly doing a lot of that in the Emmy Nation Network on a regular basis, because it is an exciting, initially, you know, as people maybe through blogs kind of learned more, shared more about food. Now, people are even taking it in greater numbers to a, a further extent and experiencing you know, more in different places when it comes to food. I wanted to ask you, as someone that's been in on the blogging situation since sort of the beginning, as I have covered, you know, food media and celebrity chefs and, and that whole culture as, as it exploded, when you had people that got into culinary school maybe 10, 15 years ago, they had a totally different expectation than they do now, where now a lot of them have, whether it's realistic or not, expectations to have their own show or their own line of products. As you speak to some of these groups and you talk to bloggers, the bloggers that you talk to 15 years ago or 10 plus years ago, are they having different expectations to uh, what it is that they hope to either get, accomplish, or do with their blog than they do today? I mean, today, are they looking to to be the next you as opposed to when you started? You probably were just, just expressing or sharing your passion. Yeah, the expectations have definitely changed. And I think it's easy to see a few successful bloggers out there and think that that's a pathway for everyone. And it really isn't. Just as people become writers, they don't necessarily become best-selling authors. And I think with blogging, it's the same thing. People get into blogging and they hope they'll become the bestseller, meaning they'll have a recognizable brand and a source of income and everything will just be peachy. And it's, it's a lot of hard work. It, it, it doesn't come easy, and it doesn't necessarily lead down that pathway. I always tell people, go in it for the passion, go in it for the enjoyment. And if you can make a go of it monetarily or with terrific experiences like culinary travel, that makes it even better. But maintain that level of passion when you're doing it just for the money or the goal at the end. Um, it always shows through, you know. It doesn't feel as authentic. Right, and and 
tell me about sort of the motivation that it takes every single day to get up and sort of make these things happen because you know you've been doing this for a long time I'd love to hear like how your day goes you know how you kind of craft your day because it really takes a lot of self-motivation and discipline to be a successful blogger I think from from everything that I've seen and and um, you know watched some of the more successful bloggers out there and what they do. Yeah, it's really true. And for me, my path is that I wear a lot of different hats. I do a lot of different things. And my blog is not my only source of income. Mostly I look at it as a marketing vehicle, a way to reach new audiences, make new connections, and maintain that that level of passion and have an outlet, a place where I can share the things that I really care about. So my blog doesn't really come first for me. <laughs> it what? does for some people, especially if it's their main source of income, it comes first. But for me, the paid work that I'm doing, writing for other outlets, comes first. And then I always have a number of things. I never have things that I want to write about. It's just a question of time. Sometimes I have the time to commit, and I love to write the blog posts, and other times it just gets put on the back burner and it doesn't get the attention it deserves. But knowing that it's there, knowing that I have a place where I can always share what's most important to me, is really important. And so your work is really diverse. You are a recipe developer, you're a writer, you write for publications, and you also write for corporate. And you've yeah. got, you've got obviously have the blog. Are there, is there anything I'm missing in all that? Because I know that some things you do are probably promotional. I'm sure like speaking at a conference is something that you would consider probably part of your promotional and getting out there and talking to people and about what you uh, are passionate about and what you do. Absolutely. The other thing that I do is my previous career was in branding. So I do work on some branding projects, doing copy and... Which uh, feeds right into what you're doing with uh, Cooking with Amy and, and all the other things that you probably work on. Exactly. So right now I'm actually working with a company where I'm helping with website copy, ad copy, as well as developing recipes for them. It's great. It gets to combine a lot of, a lot of my different skills in, in one place. And that's Another thing about blogging is it's really a way to develop your skills. I wasn't a recipe developer until I started blogging and putting my recipes out there. And I'm afraid to look at some of my old recipes because <laughs> I just didn't have a lot of experience. Now I have so much more experience, and it's, it's led to some really wonderful opportunities, opportunities to write books, to contribute to magazines, online publications. It's been terrific. Well, you're obviously, you know, really doing the public a great service with all the information and recipes you're sharing, and you've done a great job with it. Congratulations, all of it. And what, as somebody who's new coming into the blogging world, like right now, what would you what would you say that they should kind of focus on first? Give up. Just don't even don't start. Don't even start. <laughs> no. Forget it. It's all been done. Well, I think what you, it's very easy to get caught up in what everybody else is doing. And I think that's a mistake. I think you have to really focus on yourself. Focus on why do you want to have a blog? What is it that you want to share? I could talk your ear off about food. I never get tired of this subject, whether it's recipes or restaurants or trends or ingredients or travel. For me, food should be in the newspaper every single day of the week. It's, it's the most important topic. Yeah. And I think we all have to find our niche. We have to find what appeals to us. You can go chasing traffic and chasing the numbers, but at the end of the day, you have to find what makes you happy. And 
a blog should should provide some of that happiness. Yeah. And it should be an outlet for you to share what you really care about. And if that's recipes, that's great. If it's cookbook reviews, that's fine. If it's the food you ate on vacation, terrific. Um, there's room for, for everything and everybody. Well, and, and I would say just look for those things that you really want to share. Look for the things that you want to write. The nice thing about blogging is you don't have to wait for an editor or someone to assign you a story or hire you. Sure. You can just put it out there. Right, and you have your own deadlines, right? So hopefully yep. you adhere to your own deadlines, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it, it sounds like it's passion is really what the answer is. If you have passion for something and you want to share that with people, that that's what's going to come through and, and make you a success with a blog, um, probably in other things in life as well. Um, tell me, where is the best place to travel for food right now? Best place for travel for food... Well, one of the things I love about blogging is the sense of community. Blogging started as a very communal kind of experience where you're connecting with other people, either through comments or through sharing posts, um, now through social media. And what happens is no matter what your personality, whether you're outgoing or shy as can be, you develop a network of people that you know. And -hmm. you probably develop a network of people all over the country, if not all over the world. And I think the best way to find great food is, is to go through your network. Someone who's written an article or written a story, that's what they've done. Yeah. They've gone through their network. They've talked to people in all those locations to True. find out what's the best or what's interesting or what's new or what's different. Yeah, because people love to show off their local food and the best places that they love. And so you really get the... Uh, what's really happening, the heartbeat of what's happening locally. I, I think that's a great that's a great idea, a great place to start. I know if you yeah. come to Chicago, Amy, you, you're all set up here. I'll show you all the great places here. And I think it's better for me to hit you up with the recommendations and right. the suggestions and where you really like and what's happening right this moment as opposed to reading a, an article that came out in the paper or a magazine article. That's already out of date. Right. And it's you know, based on something that may or may not be as relevant to me. Whereas when you have a one-on-one relationship with somebody, you just get much more relevant, potentially much more interesting information. Sure. To answer your question, I think there's great food everywhere. I don't think you have to go anywhere to find it. I think you just have to find the right people. Because even in in your own town, there are things that you haven't probably haven't experienced. And just... Connecting with other people who are like-minded will really help you to develop that network. When I see people that I'm connected to, even in my own town, the first question we always ask each other is, you know, where have you been eating lately? <laughs> where have you been this good? What's new? What's different? And and that's where, where you find things that are interesting. See, that's really great, though, is that, and to know, and and a, and a little bit of uh, in, encouragement is that some of the best places, some of the best meals, some of the most interesting food that you might find might be in your own backyard right under you the entire time. You don't have to travel halfway around the world. Of course, you can and probably should at some point. But um, but you don't have to. And it's good to explore kind of the, the general area around where you are as well. For those people who want to explore what it is that you're doing, they hear you here on the Yummy Nation Network, want to follow you, go see you at the, at the seminars, read the stuff that you're doing and get some insight from one of the greats, where can they go? Cooking with Amy is my blog. It's also my handle on social media, so you'll find me there 
Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, all those places. On my blog, I actually have a column on the right-hand side where I put links to other stories that I've written. So you'll find links to stories I've written for the Food Network and for Open Table and for Fodors. Um, and so you can see some current things that, that I've, um, I've put out there beyond my blog. This is all great stuff, Amy. Thanks so much for being on the Yummy Nation Network today with us and sharing your ideas about blogging and you know your experiences with it and uh, how to find really good food. <laughs> Thanks again for having me. It's always fun to talk about food and, and blogging. And we are back live on the Yummy Nation Network podcast. It is Dane Neal, Beth Peterson here in studio. Go to the website, yummynation.com forward slash podcast, where you can hear all of the different segments with the top stars in food, industry leaders, your favorite, and some of the best influencers out there in the culinary world. And every week, you can hear this person coming up. It is Jen Campus with her Big Bite book review. And, and Jen, welcome back to the show. Jen, and w- yay. Thanks, you, everybody. What you got for us this week? Well, today I have something a little bit interesting that I wanted to share with you. Today I'm going to share with you a book called Medicinal Herbs, A Beginner's Guide by Rosemary Gladstar. Hmm. And I wanted to share it because I thought that it would be really neat to just to talk about how herbs, which, you know, the three of us and everybody listening knows how important they are to, to food and making, like, really awesome culinary dishes. But how like, you can like use brownies. Same, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's an herb that people put in brownies sometimes, right? <laughs> well, legally in, in a number of states. I don't know anything about that, Beth, so... <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to take it there. Okay, keep going. I'm sure there's a Jen. I'm I'm sure there's another book entirely devoted to that that yeah. will hit in the future. See if I can find one of them. <laughs> but you know, just how herbs that you have in your in your pantry, like to use for cooking, can also be used um, medicinally to help with healing and sort of like aches and pains and coughs and colds and common ailments. And so I thought it would be kind of fun to share a book like that this week. Fantastic! I can't wait to hear. So, actually, Rosemary Gladstar, I'll just say I really love her. She's one of my favorite herbalists. She's actually local to me here in Vermont. She lives about an hour away, but she's a world-renowned herbalist. And her books are really great because she brings plants and herbs to anyone and everyone, no matter how much experience you might have with them, because it's just very, very down-to-earth. I know about how easy it is to add flavor with just a drop in of some parsley or, you know, whatever it ends some up being. Basil or some it, basil. It'll supercharge it. Yeah, it supercharge it. Yeah, I mean, so and they're healthy. for example, did you know that basil can be used topically as a compress to use for things and bug bites? No. No. Perfect for this time of year, right? You know, I mean, you can't, at least for me, I can't go outside without getting bit by a mosquito. So it's great to have basil around because you can use fresh basil and you can make sort of a, like a tea out of it and dip a washcloth in it to make it wet. Stick it on your bug bite or your mosquito bite or bee sting and it helps to relieve pain. 
There you go. What about the the herb that keeps them away from you? What's that herb? I think that one is supposed to be it's either, not deep. You know, the citronella geranium. Oh, are you okay. serious? Yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah, there's a type of geranium that has I don't know if it's called citronella geranium, but it smells like citronella and it's a special kind of geranium that keeps mosquitoes away. Are these all things we will find in this book that you're you're telling us about? Not the geranium, but yeah, basically she talks about basil and she talks about cayenne pepper and cinnamon and garlic and thyme and ginger and sage. But then she also talks about other herbs. So the book is like, you know, basically broken up into two parts. It's kind of like culinary herbs and how they can be used medicinally. And then the other part is maybe less common known herbs, but ones that anybody can find in their yard. Things that you wouldn't realize that you could use? Exactly. Things like dandelion and red clover. I know about dandelion tea, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's, what is the medicinal effects of that? I know that that's used somehow to help with some ailment. I don't even remember what it is. Yeah, dandelion is what they call like a blood purifying herb. And basically it's good for digestion. So it's good for like your liver Mm -hmm. and your kidneys and sort of all of those organs that, you know, kind of purify your system. So does it have to be in the, the yellow dandelion or can it be when it's all puffy? Well, it's the leaf. It's <laughs> oh, the, the leaf. leaf. Okay. Mm-hmm. And even in some parts it of the changes. Mediterranean, they use yep. it, you know, like in salads. You can just eat it. Yeah, That's like part for of sure. a thing. As an Italian, the dandelion uh, leaves is part of uh, part of the diet there. I know that for sure. Yeah, totally. And you can actually eat the yellow flowers. My daughter's babysitter was here once a couple of months ago when dandelions were first in bloom here. And that's what she made for lunch for Alba. She um, basically soaked the the yellow flowers in water so that the bugs would come out if there were any. And then she kind of just tossed them in flour and salt, and then she fried them in olive oil, and they tasted like popcorn chicken. <laughs> like popcorn s- chicken? That's crazy. Wow. And, you know, if she left the bugs in, she'd even get the protein. So <laughs> she got- <laughs> Popcorn ant. Right. Wow. That, well, see, that's, that's a great way to have that whole at one with your environment. And those, you know, as a kid, you know, we all played with the dandelions. And we, you'd smear and make yourself yellow with them and, or blow them, right? You know, what? You'd, I don't remember that. Yeah, you could you def- did. Okay. You could definitely do that, yes. But now, so for this particular book, and Jen, sometimes, and of course the listeners will know this, that sometimes you'll choose a book based on its entertainment value. Always the content is is got to be important, but sometimes, you know, it's almost reads like a novel as well. Is this more of kind of a manual of things to do and don't, you know, kind of a list of those things that you don't have, or is there is there reading involved with this, or is this more of a, of a how-to? It's more of a how-to. You know, she kind of outlines each herb. She gives, like, you know, maybe three or four pages with several different recipes. But then the beginning section is all about how to make herbal teas, how to make syrups, oils, like salves and tinctures and stuff like that. So she gives you like a basic knowledge of how to use herbs in general. And then she gives you examples of herbs and what to do with them and how to best use them. See, but this is great. So not only trying to explore some of the foods of different cultures, which we've done, some of the basic bread techniques that you've done in some of the reviews, but now utilizing things that may be in your yard that can help you not only on the food side, but using what is traditionally thought of as food as some medicines and things to make your life a little bit better, a little bit easier. So Jen, before we let you go, give uh, the, the author again and where we can find the book? Uh, The author is Rosemary Gladstar, and it's called Medicinal Herbs, A Beginner's Guide. 
And I think this book can really be found anywhere, your local bookstore, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, pretty much anywhere books are sold. So stay tuned to the Yummy Nation Network forward slash podcast for all of Jen Camps' Big Bite book reviews. And uh, and thanks, Jen. We'll talk to you next week. Okay, thanks, guys. Bye, Jen. Bye. When you travel, where to stay is a big decision. And when you need five-star accommodations in amazing locations all across America, consider Four Seasons Hotels and Resorts. When we travel to top food cities and events, Four Seasons Hotels and Resorts are our first choice. With the rooms and amenities we need and always fantastic restaurants and chefs on site located in the heart of it all, go to www.fourseasons.com for more information and to book your next day. That's fourseasons.com. I mean, the thing that makes me happiest when people say, you, you taught me how to cook or you got me cooking. Hi, this is Sarah Moulton, author of Home Cooking 101, and you're listening to the Yummy Nation Network. For the Yummy Nation Network, honored to have on a beautiful summer day here uh, in Chicago as she travels the country on uh, a tour for her latest book. Groundbreaking pioneering television personality, award-winning author, chef, and a person who has been kind of uh, our guide to the food world on television and, of course, in print for so many years, the one and only chef Sarah Moulton. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Dane. So what brings you here? I mean, you're traveling, and you could be in other places. There's Topeka, Kansas, probably down the road, maybe well, across. no, Chicago would be, I think, a little before Topeka, Kansas. <laughs> oh, they go in order of importance? Well, awesome. Yeah. Well, although, no, don't don't get me wrong. I'm not a snob that way. And uh, actually, I'm on book tour this wonderful little cookware company called Chantal. And where they take me are all these tiny little, t- well, not tiny, but not the big cities. So to find myself in Chicago is unusual. I was here uh, for the FMI conference connect conference and then also i'm doing a a demo here well it's great to have you here and when in the lobby you're like oh this is great excited to be able to do it and and we're just honored and excited to have you and you've got to think about it sure big cities a lot of people but when you do what you've done whether it's good morning america or the stuff with julia child of course on the food network you've got to figure that most everybody would be excited to see you. everybody knows who you are you know, I'm not the the hottest thing since sliced bread, you know, and I like when I was for the 10 years on the Food Network. So it doesn't always translate. But, you know, new people are beginning to watch my public television show and create, which is this second network that takes all the PBS shows and then puts them up after they've aired the first time. It's really helping us all to get the shows out more than they do. It is great to have some of the advantages we have, either with YouTube or some of those things. You say sliced bread. I just watched earlier today a segment that you did with someone that uh, I talked to yesterday, Rachel Ray, and you were talking about refreshing bread that was stale, putting it in the oven, getting it wet, soaking it. It's those kind of things, those kind of life hacks and ways to make um, some kitchen magic. Is that the stuff that's in Home Cooking 101? Yeah, among other things. I mean, there's really nerdy stuff like that. But then there's also, you know, uh, the first chapter is all about the things that I think are most important, like get to know your stove because gas does not perform like electric, does not perform like, you know, induction. Um, how to uh, balance flavors if something's too sweet, salty, sour, hot, how to build umami, um, 
how to use salt, you know, which is hands down the most important thing. So I go through all that kind of stuff, you know, that basic stuff. And then there's a lot of little fun things along the way. A lot of cool stuff in, in the in the world of food, and I'm sure mm. some some valuable information all across the board. And in studio, we also have Beth Peterson, world recipe champion, master <laughs> chef, alum, and of course, one of the founders of the Yummy Nation. And so, Beth, you actually got a chance, yeah. you had the pleasure, the honor of running into to Sarah before yeah, as well. actually twice before. We've spent a little bit of time together. The first time we went to Duck University for Maple Leaf Farms. Duck. You're so nice to say Duck University. You should say Duck U. Duck U. <laughs> Everybody's I was attention. trying to be polite. Guys, but. it's a family show. So. <laughs> that was the, that was uh, our handle on uh, on Twitter. It was Duck You. Yeah, yeah it yeah. was. It was kind of fun. It was um, really fun. We yeah. even got to eat. We were talking about a duck food, um, what they eat, and it's it, well, this is Amish country. This is a wonderful company right. called Maple Leaf Farms. Yeah, duck uh, and. You know, we, 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 I think we really both enjoyed. Um, it was great. Yeah, felt good about the There were food the writers from all around the country that came out to learn about the farm. And I was scared. I was telling Sarah, I was really kind of a little bit afraid to see, like, what behind the scenes of a duck farm looked like. And it was pretty good. Yeah. It wasn't so yeah. bad. No, it wasn't bad. And, of course, we got fabulous duck meals at yes, the end of the night. And Sarah went through and she did demos for us all day and taught us all about how to cook duck. And, yeah, so it was an, it was an awesome experience. And then the second time um, that we met was in uh, at the IACP, the International Association of Culinary Professionals. And they were hosting uh, actually an 80th birthday party for Jacques Pepin. And I got an opportunity to talk to her. I was standing between her and Daniel Balloon, and it, I was like, what the heck? This is crazy. I'm having a conversation with these two. This is fantastic. And for some reason, I had my phone in my hand, and I see that my son, who's in college, is ringing me. And, you know, anyone who's got a college student knows that they really rarely call. They just text you for money. Um, <laughs> or the truth? Or when Unless it's a lot of money, maybe then they'll call. <laughs> then they'll call. This was not a money call, but equally as important was how to microwave popcorn. So I thought this was like an emergency phone call. So I step away from these two legends to go and take this phone call thinking it's some sort of college emergency. And he's asking me how to microwave popcorn, like how many minutes. He's burnt oh, the first batch. Oh. How wonderful that you had the resources <laughs> of so many years of experience. I right? almost rushed back in the room and asked, how many minutes do you think, guys? But no, I handled it. <laughs> well, popcorn is not going out of style anytime soon, and duck has become one of those really hot things as far as the food scene goes. And Sarah, I wanted to ask you, just the time that you've been, certainly there are some classics, there are some things, some staples, some mainstays, but what are your thoughts as, as the next thing becomes the hot this or the hot that, or, you know, or like small plates, you know, whatever kind of trend it is, Ooh, I love this. comes yeah, in and out of, uh, well, out of Well, I'm not always good at this stuff because I've had my head in the sand for two years doing this cookbook, but I think it always has to do with what, unfortunately, what countries we're doing war with or we're concerned about. So Korean food is very big. It has been. It's been growing. Middle Eastern food is huge. You know, I, th I think we're going to continue to see more of that. And Mediterranean in general, you know, the whole Adelengui thing. Yeah. Right? Yes. And all the spices. And you know what? So much fun. Can You know, when I started cooking, which was, of course, when I was just 12, graduated from cooking school in 1977, you could not find what you can find now. You know, when I first worked at Gourmet Magazine in the mid-'80s and we had a recipe that called for sesame oil, and I mean the dark stuff, 
we would say available at specialty food shops. Yeah. You know, now it's in your supermarket. Right. We've got so many more toys to play with. It's wonderful. Now, that's excellent to get your thoughts on that, too, just as the landscape has changed. Certainly, there's more awareness about a lot of different things, but also for cooks, right? Yeah. They're not only just enjoying the cuisine out at restaurants that maybe they didn't have in the past, but now, yeah, they're trying to make the stuff as well. Right. And then you go to farmer's markets or elsewhere, and you're going to find all sorts of produce you didn't know about before as we become more and more of an international country. So, you know, you suddenly have to figure out what to do with these weird vegetables. Uh, <laughs> I, and they're not weird. They're normal to somebody there is else. Because ca- there's a category. And yeah, the, right. it's like, the, oh, that's in the weird section. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. <laughs> what I wanted to know, too, is just as there is so much more things as far as choices on the food side, there are so much more choices on the food media side as well and the books. And, and there are a lot of our listeners that are maybe aspire to either write a book or be a part of a book or enjoy different books as they go forward. And you said the last two years with your head kind of in the sand working and immersed in, in this process, like give the listeners a little insight into just what it takes to write the book and write this book that is out now. And then and then also, too, just with the added pressure of all the things that you've done in the past. You know, it isn't like some people just have one book in them. You know, this is uh, multiple books. Well, let me just say this. For your first question, do you mean how to get it published or how to actually no, make it? Just that process. Okay. Where do you start from day one and at some point two years later you close it and say, I think we've got something. Okay, because getting it published is very difficult. Um, so, I mean, it, not everybody can do it, but there's it, it's just impossible because... We're such a celebrity-driven country. Uh, we've been heading in that direction, so you can't get a cookbook published unless you already have a platform. And well, one great way to do a platform is a blog. Right. Um, so, you know, I encourage you, if you're doing a blog, to continue to try to do that and to, through social media to blow the whole thing up, and then you will be given maybe a cookbook um, deal. But other than that, it's very hard to do it. So I had to just address that because yep. I don't want people to think it's easy. It's, it's just one, easy. two, three, boom, there you go. Yeah, no, and I'm not even sure anybody would offer me another one. I mean, it's uh, you have you to have be— many, the, many, many years of experience and books under your belt, though, already. So I you're only have four. To, yeah. I only have four, and, only. you know— well, that's pretty good. No, and I think probably this public television show— help me to get this last one and whatever. Anyway, so I just needed to get that aside. And also, it's easier than ever to publish your own cookbook, but you have to still get it out there. But social media is amazing. Okay, so there's that. So how do you actually do it? I may do it differently than other people, but um, so this particular publisher, Oxmoor, which is part of Time Life, um, said to me, okay, so we want a, a list of all of the titles of the recipes before we start. And that's 150 titles. Wow. I was like, you have got to be kidding me. If you want that, then the deal is over because it evolves. You know, it's like I do keep a, a sort of a running list of the ingredients I use because we all have our favorite ingredients. I mean, garlic, hot pepper flakes, chipotles and adobo, you know, cheese would be in absolutely everything if I had it my way. And that's now no kind of balance. So I keep a running sheet of the ingredients I use and how often I use them. But then I, I figure out, you figure out the chapter titles. You also have to figure out, I should back up, the philosophy. What are you trying to attempt with this book? And you really have to have a clear mission because the cookbooks that do better than others are the ones that have a mission. So you have to decide that, come up with the titles, decide roughly how many recipes you want in each chapter, uh, which will add up to the number that you're going to have in the book, and then get started. And I never do a chapter from start to finish, because it's just it's crazy. You, you just don't want to force it. So I dip around between, in this case, I, wow, had, okay. I had soups and salads, and then I had uh, quick and quicker, and then I had slow cooking meals. And you just move around, but you still keep that cheat sheet or that running sheet, flow sheet of how many times have I used pork? How many times have I used chicken? How many times have I used seafood? 
And did you know, like, right at the beginning, that what the book was going to be? Like you said, you what's the purpose of the book? So we did this. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I have actually the first one was the most loosey goosey in two thousand and one, because I was the hottest thing since sliced bread in the Food Network. So it really didn't matter what I did. Mm-hmm. They are serious recipes, and they're all tested. But it's more like, ah, eh, these are my favorite recipes. And that was great. People yeah. were just like, oh, we want to yeah. make what she likes. Yeah. <laughs> so that was fine. Uh, but then after that, it was very targeted. So you figure all that out. And then uh, something else I learned uh, years ago, I ghosted a cookbook for Joan London. Uh, you know, I think don't think she'd mind me saying now, but back then I couldn't say that I did, but I had to do all the recipes. And it was, I think, 200 recipes. I Whoa. Wow. Yeah, it was a lot, and they were, it was a healthy cookbook. And I learned doing that that the best way to, to do a cookbook or to do recipe, and you probably know this, Beth, because you've entered all these competitions, is you don't sort of go in the kitchen and start noodling around and say, okay, I just used two tablespoons of oil. Then you'd go, you know, instead you write it down like you think it's going to go out, right. go down, mm-hmm. and then you follow it, and then you change it, and then you update it, and then you work with the new recipe, you know, as you test it and retest it. That's probably more than you wanted to know there, Dane. No, no, no. It's great. It's great because I I think you're right, Dane. It's like people see a book finished. How does that really kind of come about in the author's mind? Because you wonder, and and it happens on a a regular basis that you're seen as as an authority in that space. And so you have this offer, you know, even because the book thing, they they usually, there's an arrangement to do the book before you write it. You don't go write a whole book and say, this one's great. Why don't you buy it? You know, it usually works the other way. But they have confidence and faith in you that you're going to come up with something. But you have to make a case for, well, I think this would be good. You know, and then they've got these unreasonable demands of let's just name everything beforehand because they don't they don't know that it just doesn't work that no, way. No, they don't. They don't. What can you do? So but, when you get a chance to get out and you're, you're of course, going to be doing different appearances and book signings, you know, all over the country. What is the thing, the feedback? Because in so many different ways, you have had that impact in so many different places and with so many people. Like, are there some common things people said? Is there a couple like out of the blue things? Like, I can't believe you remember that when you meet your fans. Um, yeah. I mean, the thing that makes me happiest, and now I'm sounding like I'm boasting, but when people say, you, you taught me how to cook or you got me cooking. And generally, they're referring to the first show I did on the Food Network, which was my favorite show. I love my PBS show, but I loved that live show, yeah. you know, Cooking Live. I did 1,200 of those guys in six <laughs> years. And it was a call-in show, and it was really fun. It was like a community experience because people would weigh in with their thoughts. And uh, that so, does sound like fun. So people could call in and just like say, ask questions about what you were doing. And or or if they knew the answer to something I didn't, they would weigh in. Oh, it, so great. it was like a town hall every night. We had a topic. But what was nice is I thought at the time the people who were watching were either under five or over 80. <laughs> I think there were other people who were watching actually. But so when the over 80 crowd died, because oh. we're now talking, you know, 20 years later, right. I thought, well, that's it. Nobody's going to remember that show. But all those five-year-olds grew up. Right. And continued cooking. And I will say that's one of the great things about food TV yeah. and certainly the Food Network uh, in the beginning especially is it got a lot of young people learning how to cook at a yeah. time when a lot of moms had gone back to work mm-hmm. and were not cooking. So nobody was teaching the next generations how to cook. But a lot of these kids know how to cook because they watch the Food Network. So even a couple of chefs have told me that. You know, I just about died and went to heaven. These cute young men, I was like, whoa, I didn't think that was ever going to be my audience. I've actually heard this before, actually, about oh, Food Network yeah. and chefs, like, saying that this is sort of maybe they were home a lot. Yeah. It's actually great TV for family. Yeah, it's very soothing. It's yeah. not 
non-threatening. There's no, right. dr- you know, drugs or sex or violence or Sarah, that wasn't part of the of the promotional. It's like tune in. It's soothing and non-threatening. <laughs> no, but it's true. Yeah. Kids would watch it to go to bed. I mean, really, people told me, uh, you know, that their kids would, and it was. Especially after September 11th, I was doing the show, not on the day of September 11th. They canceled the whole Food Network mm-hmm. and just put up a message every day, you know, with respect to the families, respect to the families. And then it was like, you remember the old thing about I want my MTV? Mm-hmm. Um, people started calling, well, calling. There was no, not much emailing back then and writing and saying, please bring, bring it back, bring it back. We need it, we need it, we need it. Um, and so it resumed programming, I think, after about a week or 10 days. And what we tried to do on my show, it was the live show, was um, talk about what had happened, do comfort food. Um, we brought on chefs who were in the proximity of the area who were still fine. And um, just really trying to make it as comforting, you know, even more so than usual. And people said, thank you. So I do believe it. There's nothing controversial about food TV. <laughs> it, it's, it's true. Family, gather, they gather around. They watch all of the shows right. together. Um, they take on some of the challenges that some of the shows um, have on, like, you know, their Friday night together, making yeah. dinner. I mean, it's it's a good, it's definitely a great program. And nowadays, of course, you can see that the kids love it. The over 80 people love it. And everybody in the middle loves that kind of thing as well. And, and it's always kind of a luxury to have someone like yourself that was there kind of in the early days of Food Network looking at what it became and turned into in this phenomenon. And I mean, is it the kind of thing, and I'm sure you've been asked this question a million times, was it something that you, you saw coming or were there little pieces? What were the first things that you saw that said, like, wait a minute, like things are changing? You know, the food situation, there were star chefs here and there, you know, like a Charlie Trotter here, or certainly Julia Child, you know, people that were celebrities in the food space. But for the most part, there were restaurants that were stars. Um, but the chefs themselves outside of maybe a place like New York or something, it was, you know, cooking and, and working in food was kind of a kind of an industrial profession. You know, it just was something to get it done and and get it out there when when you saw that celebrity part kind of working into the chef thing like what was the first part of that that you saw coming emerald oh that's right okay that's that's probably so when i started the food network i tried out for a show they asked me i didn't want i never wanted to be on tv and the reason i decided i liked it is because i like to teach but i never wanted to do that i thought that was vulgar people who need attention need to be on tv i always worked behind the scenes both with julia and good morning america but when they asked me to do it i was like okay you know maybe i can do this so i i tried out for a pilot called how to boil water which was this is like 1993 94 which was a show that emerald was doing at the time and they he wasn't very good at that show but they knew that he was talent and I flunked, uh, but they asked me back to do Chef Du Jour and whatever. But then I started doing my show on the Food Network. And back then, they weren't food people. They were TV people. And they could see that Emerald had this draw. And I think they thought it was, you know, typical for back then or sometimes now. They thought it's going to be a man always who's going to, you know, be the big star on the Food Network. So they were always looking for the next Emerald. Mm. And it wasn't going to be a woman. Uh, but meanwhile, my show was doing pretty well and got to be doing really, really, really well. But here's a funny thing. For three years, the first three years, I did not have my own set. There was no man who ever started the Food Network who did not start with his own set, his own graphics, his own music, his own equipment. Not me. I was on um, the set of In Food Today, the show that David Rosengarten did with Donna Hanover, which was a news show. Mm-hmm. And that went on from um, 6 to 7. And then we had three minutes to bring in a huge riser because I'm so short and the counter was so high and change the set 
a tiny bit, but nothing changed. Put and a, a plant flour. there. A plant, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we, there was no oven either, by the way. So for the first three years, I would pretend to put things into uh, I put them under the counter and then the, somebody at my feet would pass me the, the oh, done dish and awesome. so for three years <laughs> so the first year I did it I said I'm going on vacation in August I started in April and they said um oh you can't go on vacation this is a live show I was like well I have to go on vacation I really must I, we have this farmhouse you're like how about we tape some of them yeah and they're like <laughs> no way Jose so the first year they um they brought in Michael Monaco to fill in for me and he did a great job. Love Michael. He was the chef at Windows in the World. He survived the whole thing. So come January, he gets his own show, his own graphics, his own set, hey. his own equipment. Year two, I go on vacation. Guess who substituted for me? Ming Tsai. Guess what happened in January? Third year, David Ruggiero. Guess what happened in January? But right. I got my set in January, too. But that's how it was. Yeah. But but I could see that people were dis- who were discovered on my show, I mean, Emerald had already done it himself, they went on. Michael Simon was discovered on my show. Gail Gand, you know, from here. Really? All these people were on my show. So they used my show as a way of finding people, which was great. But you could see it growing and growing and growing. And they certainly fueled it, just like any other TV station would. Right. Who's going to be our next star? Who's going to be our next star? Well, you can look at it. Obviously, things have changed in that respect. You know, and some of the biggest stars in the world of food are women, and, and rightly so. And, and I think it's a testament to what you're doing and doing it right, because this many years later, doing your television show, and you've got the, the season is rolling out as we speak. Season five for Sarah's Weeknight Meals, yeah. And I know it, it airs in the Chicago area. We're in like 93% of the markets we could be, and it also airs on Create. Can I just do a little thing? Sure, If somebody wants to find it and watch it, you go to my website, which is sarahmolton.com. You hit the button at the top that says Sarah's Weeknight Meals. It will take you to a place where you just type in your zip code, and it will tell you when the shows are airing, which That's shows right. are airing in your neck of the woods. Wow. And can I just say something? We kind of glossed over this just a little bit. You really laid the groundwork for women. I mean, you were really at the forefront of that. I mean, I know I interviewed Gail Gann for a story a couple years ago, and she kind of told me about her experiences in kitchens. And, you know, I said to her, you know, really, thank you for, for kind of enduring all of that. Now you've made such a nice path for women in food. And really, you know, you were ahead of that, and you helped to get her kind of scene and so thank you for that well thank you but I mean certainly I had a great mentor Julia Child she just went right on in and did whatever she needed to do you know to heck with the fact there were all these men (laughs) thank goodness for Julia (laughs) yeah she was the best (laughs) how big if Julia Child would have I guess even survived if that's possible I mean as far as she would have been an elderly person obviously as as she was when she passed anyway but like if if she was alive in this day and age would things be the same? Would they be different? Would she have found a different? Would she be president? I mean, would there be a different path, or would she be, you know, the big food star that she, that she was when she was here? You know, I think there will never be another Julia Child. You know, and the Food Network kept saying we're more interested in entertainment than education. There was no better entertainer slash educator than Julia Child. She did both. And she didn't have cleavage, and or she did, but you know, I, she, she, she wasn't shapely and she wasn't sexy, and you know, because that was sort of the direction they, just like all TV, that's what they were looking for. But I think she was at a very unique time and place. Her passion was absolutely French cuisine. You know, as much as she'd eat other cuisines, she never appreciated them or loved them the way she loved French. So it was, you know, classic right place, right time, right person. I don't think it could be replicated. You know what? The thing about her is 
you have some people that just, you know, want to find a path, they'll take a path and then they'll go ahead and maybe achieve their, their dreams or go towards their goals. With her, there really wasn't, there really wasn't a path at all, right? She was so determined just this is what I'm going to do. However that affects whatever else, we'll just see how that works out. Well, you know how she ended up on TV to begin with, you know, the famous story. So, so Mastering the Art of French Cooking had come out, and they had this show on WGBH in Boston that was like, we've been reading or something. This guy <laughs> who would have, cook, have book authors, Riveting. Not, not cookbook authors, okay. book authors, right. and he would just sit and chat with them. And so Julia's publisher somehow got her, you know, and she's like, that's it. She brought a burner. She bought a pan. She bought some eggs. She made an omelet. They got 60 letters or something, which is like letters, you know, wow. which is woo. This wow, we've gotten such a response. This is fantastic. So they invited her back, and then uh, you know they eventually offered her the show. Oh, yeah. wow! Isn't that a great story? It's a great story. Yeah. Well, because people only write in when they're upset about something. If you can get people to write in that they're glad about it, sure, you've yeah. really something done something. Good. Well, when it comes to the television, of course, they can find all the different places at sarahmolton.com where they can see the program. But if uh, in lieu of that, always you can have by your side the book, right? Let's talk a little bit about the book. Yes. It's Home Cooking 101. The subtitle is How to Make Everything Taste Better. The subtitle could have been It's All in the Details, but I thought How to Make Everything Taste Better would grab people more. Um, and it's my, very, very personal. It's about my almost 40 years in the industry. I started when I was 12. Not. But at any rate, <laughs> and uh, so I start out with all the most important things you need to know about cooking, and um, then I move on to all these recipes. There's 150 recipes, and they're almost all entrees. There's a a chapter on side dishes and a chapter on desserts, and I have 12 guest chefs. I'm trying to think if I have any. Oh, yeah, I have Rick Bayless making tacos, of course. All right. Um, He's so typecast. I know. Well, he, but he chooses to be. He know, chooses know, to be. You know. I mean, on the other hand, sometimes people say he's not Latin. Why is he doing this? But boy, has he studied it. Yeah. He knows what he's talking. about. And, and it would be weird if he just came in and made a burger or something yeah, no, like that. Yeah, that'd be wrong. <laughs> it would be wrong. No, I think the taco is the best. He's best such a lovely individual. But at any rate, I have twelve guest chefs with uh, you know experience that I don't have. Um, and then um, you know lots of how tos. You know, and it's very very quirky. My way to peel and devein shrimp. My way to butterfly a pork line, my way to separate eggs, a lot of things like that, and then more complicated things as well. I'm excited for uh, but this. But I think, I think yeah. it's a good book for college students and newlyweds. But even like someone like me who's been cooking forever, you know, sometimes I'm just like, I know I can do this better. I know that this, whatever I'm doing right here, how I'm dicing this avocado is wrong. Well, actually, it is wrong. It is wrong. That's one of the things I cover. Yeah. Okay. I worked with the California Avocado Board and the way that we all open up, you know, cut up avocados has sent a lot of people to the emergency room. Ah. Um, so they showed me a different way so to far. do it. Okay. And it's that's in the book. See? Yeah. But then, I, I, you know, in the beginning, I have all about flavor and how to balance flavors and how to use salt, which is it's hands down the most important thing in cooking. That's great. And how to build umami and use your senses and not waste food and organize yourself and get a sharp knife. And it should be a 10-inch knife and all those sort of These things. These are things people really... They just need someone to say, yeah. this is really the best way to do this. Well, it's, Instead it's of the having best, to yeah. kind of figure it out. Well, know? it's I say. So, you know, it's like you have to trust me. And Well, you've been doing it for a while. Uh, well, I have. you got some experience. If you ever watched that show with Jacques and Julia, all they could do was fight, <laughs> you know? And they had his and her salt and peppers. Now, the back story on that one was, oh, that's great. although Julia adored Jacques, she thought he was a male chauvinist. 
And he really wasn't. I decided years down the road when I had him and Alan Sayak and Andre Saltner on my show, three, you know, icons. And I spent the whole hour-long show trying to make sure either one of the other two chefs got a word in edgewise. <laughs> I realized that Jacques is not a chauvinist. He's just a Jacquist. You know, <laughs> it's his way. And hey, you know, his way is pretty darn fantastic. Yeah. Anybody who can cut up a chicken in 29 seconds oh my gosh. You wow. know, wins my vote. We had a chance to see him and his daughter um, Claudine. do a demo, Claudine, do a demo in, at Aspen nice. uh, Food and Wine. And they were a little bit like that. There was a little bit of back and forth going on. And she it's, was like, okay, we'll just do it his way. It's kind <laughs> of that fun dynamic. But he always is one of those guys, you know, and just revered by, and what's great to see, it is, to, for the young chefs coming up, you know, that he is their their Yoda, their Obi-Wan Kenobi. He should know. be. I mean, really, I, there will never be another Jacques either, just there, like there'll never be another Julia. He is really something else. Oh, it, it's great. It, it, it's, and it's an honor, obviously, to have you here with us as well. Of course, the book is Home Cooking 101, and uh, it'll be available at great bookstores ever, I'm sure, on Amazon.com. It is. And uh, maybe available on the, at SarahMolton.com, too? No, isn't that dumb? Well, I'm just... You just made me think of something. <laughs> but, no, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all the usual places. But, um, yeah, and I'm, I'm very proud of it. I think it's my best book. Well, I'm sure the people will be proud to have it and, uh, and to be able to make things from it and kind of share that with their friends and family as well. Sarah, continued success and uh, good luck in your travels. And thanks so much for being on the show today. Thank you, Dane. It's great to see you. Hi, this is Scott Conant, and you're listening to the Yummy Nation Network. We are back, ready to wrap up another episode of the Yummy Nation Network. Again, that website, yumminationcom forward slash podcast. You can listen to all the great guests we had here today, plus all of the podcast interviews, guests, celebrities, and exciting programming that we've had uh, since we started. Yeah, and you know what? We're at the end of another podcast, Dane. And um, again, I'm hungry at the end of the podcast because everything we talk about is so delicious. And my brain is full of great information. I can't wait to get into the kitchen and get my cookbooks out and and have some fun after hearing from Sarah Moulton and hearing all about the herbs and how to you know apply those to my cooking and, and into my everyday. So great show today. It's fun. How to herb it up. So until next week, we're going to go ahead and do all of those things. We're going to read, we're going to learn, we're going to experience, and we're going to definitely enjoy. Again, the website is yumminationcom forward slash podcast. I'm Dane Neal. And I'm Beth Peterson. And until next time, keep it yummy. Good, good vibrations.